the Gospel of Matthew, specifically the 14th chapter. In just a moment, we're going to begin reading with verse 22. God's answer to man's problems is our sermon series this summer. Did you catch that? God's answer, singular, to man's problems, plural. Man has a lot of problems. You have a lot of problems. I have a lot of problems. They have a lot of problems. And God has the answer to every problem. And the answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, my problem is guilt. He's the answer. My problem is loneliness. He's the answer. It's anger. It's hopelessness. It's grief. He's the answer. It's inferiority. It's disappointments. It's worry. He's the answer. Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the answer to every problem you and I will ever face in this life or the life to come. Lord, as I told you before, speaks of His sovereignty. He is over everyone and everything. Jesus speaks of His humanity. He's 100% man. Christ speaks of His deity. He's the second member of the Holy Trinity. He is God the Son. He's 100% deity. God's answer is in the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, God's answer to man's fears. Matthew chapter 14, beginning with verse 22. And straightway Jesus compelled his disciples, commanded his disciples, constrained his disciples to get into the boat and to go before him unto the other side while he sent all of the multitudes away. When he had sent the multitudes away, Jesus went up to the mountain to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship with the disciples was now in the midst of the Sea of Galilee, being tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary or fierce or terrifying. And in the fourth watch of the night, in the dead of night, Jesus went unto the disciples in the boat, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, they were afraid, they were frightened. They cried out, it's a spirit, it's a ghost. Even as they again cried out in fear. Verse 27, but straightway Jesus spoke unto them, saying, be of good cheer. It is I am. Be not afraid. We'll stop there, but we're going to be looking at some other verses, so don't close your Bibles, please. God's answer to man's fears. A noted psychiatrist recently said the number one problem facing mankind, in his opinion, in 2021 and in the years to come, is going to be fear. Fear. That shouldn't surprise us. 
As I told you earlier, the Lord Jesus made a prediction about the last days and the people living in the last days. He said many would drop dead. Physically, drop dead. Spiritually, die on the inside. Because they would be frightened and terrified by the things that they're going to see and the things that are going to come later. Jesus said the death certificate of many people in the last days will read, Death by fear. And I think all of us would agree the last two years have been very fearful times for many people. Maybe you as well. This psychiatrist who said that fear is the number one thing that he sees in people now and in the foreseeable future tells us that there's over 700 plus fears that people battle with. You know, some people are fear of crowds. Some people are fearful of being left alone. Some people have a fear of living. Some people have a fear of dying. Some people have a fear of tight places. Some people have a fear of open spaces. Some people have a fear of heights. Some people have a fear of depths. But fear, if it's not managed properly, will put you in a prison. Jesus said, I've come to set you free. But fear will build a prison around your life and make you a slave to it. Now, don't get me wrong. Not all fear is bad. In fact, some fear is beneficial to have. It's, it's productive to have. It's therapeutic to have because it keeps us from killing ourselves or killing somebody else. Fear of electricity is a good thing. That's why we don't go around sticking our finger in sockets. Fear of great white sharks is a good thing. When they're spotted off Folly Beach's coast, you don't go swimming out there in that water. Fear of tornadoes is a good thing. Fear of hurricanes is a good thing. So you won't get blown away by them. Fear of politicians is a good thing. And we'll just leave it there. So some fears are, are good. In fact, I believe God gives us those fears in order to preserve us and protect others. But the fears that we do not want to have are fears that are controlling. They dominate our mind and our heart. They dominate what we say, what we do. Our, our very lives are controlled by that fear or fears. They cause us to panic. We're constantly stressed and pressured and worried and anxious about this fear. We're talking about fears that cause us to doubt who God is. Doubt the person of God. Or fears that cause us to doubt what God has said. The promises of God. We're talking about fears, as I said earlier, that will put you and I in jail. A spiritual jail, a spiritual prison that will enslave us when Jesus came to set us free. For every problem you and I have, there is a Bible story that will educate us on that particular problem and how to deal with it. 
As we look at Matthew 14 and the verses we just read and more that we'll read in just a second, we see that the disciples, the cream of the crop, if you will, who followed Jesus, are now struggling with a terrifying, paralyzing fear. Let me set the story for you, if, you, if I may. The disciples are sent. They didn't volunteer. They didn't, this wasn't their idea. They were tired. They're ready to go to bed. It's been a long day feeding 15,000 people. But Jesus gives them a command as the people are being sent away and the sun is going down. Jesus gives the disciples a command. He tells them to get in the boat and sail across the Sea of Galilee to the other side and there to wait on him. Now Jesus knows the sun's going down and nightfall is coming. And he knows the hazards of a journey at night in a boat in the Sea of Galilee. But Jesus insists, he compels them, he commands them to go. About four miles out, a storm suddenly appears over the Sea of Galilee. A huge storm. And the disciples are caught in it in the boat. The boat is now facing a typhoon-type storm. This is not just your every ordinary storm. This is a massive storm. Come out of nowhere, it's caught the disciples off guard. It's unexpected. It's a surprise. And the boat that they're in is now bouncing up and down. It's now spinning around in circles in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in pitch-black darkness. The disciples are stressed, they're struggling in this storm, and they're afraid. Now, if you read the story carefully, they're not so much afraid of the storm. They're afraid of what they see in the storm. They've seen storms before, even fierce storms like this one. But what they're now seeing is something they haven't never seen in the hundreds of storms they've been through in the past. They see a ghost, a spirit, if you will, walking on water, coming toward them. They can't see the face of the ghost or the spirit very well. They haven't heard him say anything yet. So in the midst of a storm, they now have ghosts. They now have spirits to contend with. Now what can we learn from the story that I just told you? And there's more to come, as Paul Harvey would say. Well, remember the story is to teach us something. God gives us these stories not just to entertain us or to interest us, God gives us these stories that we might replace the disciples with ourselves. That we might replace the storm they're going through and the ghost that they see that they're afraid of with our own storms. Maybe with our own ghost. That we might learn how to be free from fear as we walk by faith. 
Three things I want you to consider with me as you consider your fears and I consider mine. First of all, I want you to see that in our fears, we must keep the right perspective. We must keep the right perspective. Look once again at verse 26 and 27. Always keep your Bibles open and follow with me. Sometimes I might mess up when I read, and I want you to be able to pick that up, okay? And I know you will. You all are smart people. Okay, verse 26, And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, now they don't know who the him is yet. When the disciples saw the ghost, the spirit, walking on the sea, they were troubled, they were frightened, they were afraid, they were terrified. And they said, it is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spoke unto them. The spirit spoke, the ghost spoke. It was Jesus. And he said to them, be of good cheer. It is I am, be not afraid. Be not afraid. What the disciples feared, we're talking about right perspective of how you look at your fears. What the disciples feared was not the storm. You know, if you just casually read it and don't engage your mind to think about it, you could walk away saying, well, the disciples were stressed out, they were afraid, they were scared. They were terrified. They were paralyzed because of this massive storm. That's not what the text says. The storm did not bother them. Remember, they were fishermen. They were sailors, if you will. They had been in the Sea of Galilee in their boat ten times, times a hundred, times a thousand. They made their living in that basin of water. They perfectly understood that storms come out of nowhere. They had experienced them ten times, a hundred times, maybe a thousand times. And even though the storm was fierce, they weren't afraid of the storm. They'd been through storms before. They'd get through this one as well. But what frightened them in the midst of this storm? As the winds are blowing, hurricane force winds, as the waves are swelling up and pounding the boat, filling it with water, what made them frightened in pitch black darkness was they saw a ghost. And that ghost was walking on water headed toward them. Now the disciples didn't know that what they feared was the Lord Jesus himself. They couldn't see him enough to know it was him. He hadn't spoken yet to them for them to know who it was. But think about this. The thing that they fear is the one that they shouldn't have feared at all. The Lord Jesus Christ. Understand this principle, this point. Many times in our fears, we fail to see Jesus. And may I suggest to you, Jesus is in our fears. Sometimes he might cause them. Sometimes he might allow them. But Jesus didn't save us to be slaves to anyone or anything. He saved us to set us free. And if you won't deal with your storms, he will create a situation where he's going to make you deal with it. 
So the disciples in the midst of the storm, they see the ghost, they see the spirit, but they didn't see Jesus. And that's who was coming. He was coming to calm them. He was coming to deliver them. The disciples saw the storm. They saw the wind. They saw the waves. They saw the ghost. They saw the spirit. They saw the darkness. They saw the panic. They saw the fear. But they never saw Jesus. As you and I look at our fears today, don't look at the fear. I know it's hard to say that, but don't look at the fear. Look for Jesus. He is in the midst of the fears. He's trying to help us understand He is greater than our fears. Look for Him. Don't be afraid of Jesus being there. Look for Jesus being there. And call upon Him. Have the right perspective. Get your eyes off the fear and get your eyes on the center and circumference of our faith, which is Christ himself. Secondly, in our fears, we must not only have the right perspective, look for Jesus. I promise you in your fear, you will find him if you look for him. Because he's there. How do you know he's there, Pastor? Because he said, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the world. I'll be with you always. Not most of the time, always. Not 99% of the time, always. I will be with you always. Wherever you go in this thing we call life, whatever you face on this journey we call life, I will be with you. You may not see me, but I will be with you. You may not hear me, but I'll be with you. You may not feel me, but I'll be with you. You may not experience me, but I will be with you. You'll never be alone. You might feel lonely, but you'll never be alone. I am there with you. And then we, in our fears, we must not only have that right perspective, but our, we must have the right focus. Look at verse 28 through 30 now. Let's move on a little bit. Jesus says in verse 27, Be of good cheer, it is I am, be not afraid. And Peter answered him, you know, Peter had a knack for always saying something. Sometimes he said the right thing. Sometimes he said not the right thing. But you could always count on Peter to put his foot in his mouth. And Peter answers Jesus. Jesus now speaks. Peter still cannot see him very clearly. Because the rain is in his face. The waves are pounding. The wind's blowing. The boat's spinning. But Peter knows the voice of Jesus. And he hears Jesus say, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid, it is I am, be not afraid. And Peter answers Jesus and says, Lord, if it's really you, I can't see you very well. It sounds like you. But if it's really you, tell me to come into the water unto you, just like you're coming to me. Lord, you're coming to me walking on the water. If it's you, allow me to come to you like you're coming to me by walking on the water. And Jesus says to him in verse 29, sit down and shut up. No. 
Jesus gives a command, and he gives a promise, and he rolls it into one. In one word, he gives Peter a command, and he makes him a promise. He says to what? Come. The implication is, this is what I want you to do, and if you do it, it will be okay. You want to come to me as I'm coming to you? I'm walking on water. You come to me by walking on water. I command you to. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, it says in verse 29, he did what? He walked on water as he went to Jesus. But in verse 30, something happened. Peter saw the wind was boisterous, and he was afraid again. He was terrified. He was fearful. And he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Now, Peter sees the ghost. He sees the Spirit, as do the other disciples. As it gets closer, he still can't tell what it is. But then he hears the voice respond to him. He recognizes the voice of Jesus. And he wants to be with Jesus. Now, catch how the translation really is. Jesus says to him, you want to be with me? Come to me. As I'm coming to you, you come to me. Meet me. Now Jesus is walking on water. Peter, you come and walk on water. And I'll meet you. And then Peter, all of a sudden, who had confidence and faith, falls into doubt and fear. Fear plus doubt will never bring faith. And Peter got rid of his fear, but he picked up his doubt, and when he picked up his doubt, he got his fear back. And so he tests the Lord. He gets out of the boat and begins to walk. Now, I hope when we get to heaven, we can go back and look at this stuff. Put it on TV, channel 5, beep. Peter walking on water. Because, you know, we make it out like, we read the stories and we're so familiar with them, it really has no impression on us. But remember, this is a storm, and Peter comes out of the boat in the middle of this fierce storm. I think he tested the water a little bit. And then he saw that one foot's holding up. Pull that other leg out, come out. Wind is blowing, rain is sun. He's... I think he got a little arrogant. And he took his eyes, the Bible says, off Jesus. And what happened to Peter? He began to what? Sink. Now what do you think sink means? The water got up to his ankles. Water got up to his knees. Water got up to his waist. Water got up to his chest. Water got up to his nose. Maybe he was covered completely and just had his hand up waving. But he's going down. You've heard of homeward bound? He was bottom bound. Jesus said, come, and he came. But then all of a sudden, his faith turned to, to fear, and his fear became doubt, and his doubt caused more fear.
Peter did what a lot of us do. When we're facing fear, we not only not look for Jesus, we focus too much on the fear, but we also forget who he is and what he has said. If you believe Jesus is Lord, why would you doubt what he can do? If you believe that Jesus has the power to do what he says he's going to do, why would you doubt what he promises you? Jesus has just reminded Peter he's the great I am. I am is, is an Old Testament name for God. When God was asked to name himself, he said, I name myself I am. Moses, when you go to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's going to ask you who I am. You tell him I am that I am. What Jesus is saying to those disciples in the midst of that fearful storm and the ghost that they perceived was coming after them. I am God. Why are you, why are you so fearful? I am God. I am God. And I'm giving you a command as God. I'm giving you a promise as God. Come, Peter. Come to me. You're not going to sink. Walk to me just like I'm walking to you. Meet me halfway. But Peter doubted. And when you doubt, after having fear, your fears will only get bigger. When you have a fear, where do you see? Do you see the Lord or do you see COVID? Do you see a rebellious child? Do you see cancer? Do you see financial debt? Do you see addiction? Do you see a bully? Do you see a past sin? You see, that's where our eyes go. We move from the Lord, who he is, to the fear. And then we listen to the devil. You know, the devil's an accuser, and he's always whispering in our ear, our physical ear and our spiritual ear. Not only do we take our eyes away from who the Jesus is, he's the great I am, but we take our ears away from the promise. He told Peter to come. Do you know the Bible's full of promises for you and I? And yet Satan comes and says, you got COVID? You better shut down and lock up because if you come out, you're going to die. You got cancer? There's no hope for you. You might as well just go ahead and prepare your will, get your trust in place because you're going to die. And that child that's a rebellious child He's going to stay rebellious. He's going to put gray hair on your head. He's going to worry you to the grave. He's going to commit suicide. That's what Satan says. There's no hope for you. It's over. You're going to lose everything. You got a dream. It's going to turn into a nightmare. You got a financial need. You're going to lose everything you've got. That bully's going to beat you up. You go face that bully, he's going to slap you and kick you and beat the daylights out of you. You're going to be exposed. You're going to be fired. Satan whispers. And all of a sudden, that come 
becomes you're going to sink. You can't do this. You're going to drown. Nobody's going to help you. That brings us to the third point. Now you listen to me. You've got to have the right perspective. You've got to have your eyes on the Lord. Not on the fear. And it takes tr- discipline to do that, but you can do it. How do you know? How do I know you can do it? Because we can do all things through Christ Jesus who will give us the strength. And then you have to have the right focus. You've got to keep your focus on the person of Jesus. He's the great I am. He is God in a human being. You've got to keep your, your focus, your ears on the promises that he's given you and I. Promises that will never fail. They're true today, they'll be true tomorrow. They were true for David, they were true for Joshua. They'll be true for you and I. And then thirdly, we must have not only the right perspective and the right focus, but we have to have the right faith. Look at verse 31 and 32 as we continue reading. As Peter was going under in verse 30, he cries, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and let Peter drown. It's not what it says, did it? And he caught him. And Jesus said to him, O thou of little faith. O Peter of great fear and great doubt, but of little faith. Why did you not believe? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Verse 33. And then those that were in the ship broke out in worship. And they cried out to Jesus, Thou art the Son of God. What is the right faith? To handle our fears. The right perspective is keep your eyes on Jesus. The right focus is to know who he is. And keep your eyes on who he is. To keep your ears on what he said. But what's the right faith? The right faith is faith that is initiated by God and comes to us. Do you know that everything we need for the Christian life God gives to us? And if we need a great faith, God will give us a great faith. You see, the right faith always starts with God. Before we get it, God has sent it. In verse 22, do you notice it said, and I made a point of it when we read earlier, that Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go before him to the other side. He made them go. They didn't want to go. They were ready to go to bed. It had been a long day. It was a hard day. Jesus said, no, you're not going to bed. Get in the boat. Go to the other side. But master, it's dark. Get in the boat. Go to the other side. But master, there might be a storm. Get in the boat. Go to the other side. Jesus made them do that. Why did he make them do it? Look up here. He wanted them to face their fears. Because what do we have a tendency to do when we have a fear? We cower or we run. We tremble in our boots or we scram like a cat. 
The Lord wants us, if we're going to have a great faith, we've got to face our fears. You can't just keep running from them all the time. I don't want to face that person. I don't want to face this thing. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to deal with that. Yes, you need to. You can't live in a prison. So the Lord initiated this faith because it was the right kind of faith. Also notice in verse 25, he gives them confidence. In verse 25, notice what it says. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went into them, walking on the sea. Now the disciples couldn't see Jesus, but the implication was Jesus saw them. May I suggest to you that Jesus is not only with us, He's intricately involved in everything that we're going through. His eye is not just on the sparrow, His eye is on you and me. As the disciples were battling the storm, as the disciples see the ghosts coming, Jesus has His eye on them. He's perfectly aware that they're in a storm. He sent them into the storm. He's perfectly aware that they think he's a ghost, a spirit. He deliberately clouded himself and didn't say anything for a while. But Jesus was there with them. He was watching everything unfold. As you and I go through our fears, we look around and say, where's the pastor? (laughs) Where's Sam? Where's Norman? Where's my wife? Where's my children? Where's the deacon? Better, where's the Lord Jesus? He's right here with us. He's watching it all. Thirdly, the right faith is not only initiated by God, it starts with them and comes to us. It not only gives us confidence because it reminds us that He is with us. He's with us. He's with you right now as you go through whatever you're afraid of or or terrified of. But also, the right faith helps us to trust in God's timing. Verse 32 says, When they were coming to the ship, Jesus and Peter, the wind ceased, the storm stopped. Now, if you would have asked the disciples, when should Jesus have made the storm stop, they would have told you, about three hours ago, he's late. When should Jesus have revealed himself as the ghost? You'd have said right away. (laughs) You see, we got our own ideas about when the right time is. But the right faith, trust is in God to do things at the right time. And God's timing is always right. I got cancer, I want to be healed right now. I've got a rebellious child, I want him to get straight right now. I've got a lost friend, I want him to get saved right now. I've got a financial debt. I want it paid right now. Listen, God doesn't deal with right nows. He's in no rush. The only people that rush are fools and the devil because both know their time is short. God is in no rush. He's always been. He'll always be. He holds everything in His hands. When time is right, He will move. When time is right, he'll pull Peter up out of that water. Though Peter had fear and doubt, he will pull him up in his grace and mercy. 
In his time, he will stop the storm. The winds will subside. The waves will calm. They'll get to the other side. Jesus is an on-time God. The psalmist said, I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all of my fears. Aaron Wilburn, who's in heaven, he came to be with us every Christmas. And if you recall, he always came in the morning and sang his songs, a gifted songwriter. And then at nine he would do his comedy. Well, every time he would come and sing his three songs or four songs in our morning service, they would all vary but one. And that was the song that he wrote called Four Days Late. He sang it every time he came because I told him to. I mean, I asked him to. Remember what it says? Our God is great, so great, that when he's four days late, he's still on time. You see, we don't, a great faith, a right faith, says, God, this is how I picture you do it, but Lord, I trust you to do whatever you want to do. Blessed is the man who lets God do his thing without telling God what to do. And then lastly, we're talking about the right faith. We've talked about the right perspective, the right focus. But the right faith is initiated by God. It gives us confidence that we're always with the Lord. It, it, it trusts us. It helps us to trust that God's timing is perfect. And then it always allows us to see God in a way we never saw Him before. If you have the right faith, Faith will always grow you in how you see God and how His promises will work out in your life. Because notice in verse 33, a worship service breaks out. In the midst of a storm and ghost and all the other things going on, the disciples, when Jesus steps on that boat, worship breaks out. And what did they say about Jesus? Did you see that? You ever wondered why, why in the world would worship take out? Because they now see Jesus in a way they've never saw him before. They've always knew he was the great I am. But boom, it finally sunk in. They always knew that he was the son of God. But now all of a sudden, it sunk in. You see, Jesus taught by repetition. That's why I teach by repetition. I figure after 99 times of hearing something, you're going to catch on sooner or later. And the disciples who have seen Jesus act, they've heard him teach over and over and over again. He's declared to the people, to the disciples who he is. All of a sudden, the light goes on at this moment. After this fearful storm, after the fearful ghost, after all the things they've been through, now... They break out in worship and they say, truly, he is the great I am. Truly, he is God. What he said is true. He is the son of God. He's God the son. He's the son of God. And they worship him as such. So you got a fear? What are you going to do with it? Quit looking at the fear and look at Jesus. 
Focus on who He is as He has revealed Himself to you. Focus on what He has said through the promises of his, the Bible. And then take that fear and translate it and transform it into a faith. A faith that is initiated by God. A faith that builds your confidence. A faith that, that increases your trust. A faith that allows you to see Him in a way you've never seen Him before. A faith that allows you to push down the walls of fear and walk out. Many years ago, there was a, a prison being built in Canada. The only problem in building this prison is they run out of money. Money was very tight. They couldn't get any more. So they were going to have to make some adjustments and some cuts in the prison. So the contractor got with the prison officials and they talked about what they could do to get this prison built with the cost constraints that were now being imposed on them by lack of money. And this is what they came up with. You ready? The contractor and the prison officials said, we got to have steel bars on the doors of the cells. We've got to have a steel door with steel bars. Non-negotiable, got to have that. We also have to have steel bars on the windows. The one window that's in that cell, it has to have steel bars on it, non-negotiable. The floor of that cell has to be made of concrete. It has to be hardened concrete, reinforced concrete, non-negotiable. The ceiling above each cell has to be made of material that's indestructible, non-negotiable. You say, well, Pastor, how in the world did they save any money if all that stuff's non-negotiable? Because they decided to do something with the walls of the prison. Instead of putting up concrete walls, brick and mortar, cement block, reinforced with iron rods, they would put up a plywood wall and put paper mache over it that would look like brick or concrete or reinforced steel. And you know something? Some people laughed at them, but they did it. And do you know that in all the years that would follow, not one single inmate ever escaped that prison? First of all, they didn't believe somebody would do it. And secondly, they didn't believe if they just pushed on that wall with a little bit of force, it would come falling down. They believed it couldn't happen. And you see, some of us, as I close, have fears just like that. Pastor, that's a wonderful sermon, <laughs> but it doesn't mean anything to me because it doesn't, it doesn't apply to me. Why not? Why don't you just put your hand on the walls of the prison that you're in and push on it a little bit and watch that wall fall down and you walk out of that prison of fear and experience what it means to be free. Just push on the wall.
You'll be surprised what will happen. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.